just pray that the Lord would help us to hear whatever he wants to bring to us this evening. One of you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 again, and we're continuing our theme on the three aspects of revelation that we need. So, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 1, for some reason I'm in Hebrews, that's not going to help me right now. Ephesians 1, there we go. Let's read from verse 17 again, shall we? Um, from verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, let's have a further word of prayer, shall we? And then we're going to look at the next verse or part of the verse for this evening. Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you've been leading us, the way that you've guided us, the way you've strengthened our bodies and our minds to be able to simply be here this evening. We thank you for the blessing of being able to praise you. Lord, outside, we thank you for the joy of having a beautiful evening, to be able to behold your creation and rejoice in, Lord, the wonder of what you have made. And we give you all the praise and the glory for that, Lord. We thank you for loosing our tongues to worship you. And now as we come to your word, we ask for you especially, Lord, for your help. That, Lord, you would anoint my speaking and all our hearing. And that by faith we would lay hold of what you would say to us. Oh, Lord, help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, earlier on, if you remember, we were looking mostly at verse 16, or really 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And we, fo we focused in on this first aspect of what Paul was praying on behalf of the believers for in regard to revelation and it's this phrase that you may know what is the hope of his calling and we looked didn't we that something of that hope that we have is ultimately glory that the Lord has called us to an eternal weight of glory in Christ Jesus our Lord praise God for that 
And then Paul goes on to say afterwards, secondly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's quite a long sentence, isn't it? And it's quite difficult to grasp what Paul is actually saying in this sentence, particularly when it's the evening and your minds begin to wander and your children begin to play up and you find that you are not totally with it and you have one of these long sentences. But the reason why Paul really brings these long sentences out is because he's trying to put into language something of the glory that he's seen himself. How difficult it is for us to put into words when we've seen something of Jesus Christ. It's so difficult to put it in language. It's almost impossible. When you have something that's revealed in your spirit, it's so difficult, isn't it, to define it, to communicate it. It's almost like words aren't adequate enough to be able to comprehend what Paul is saying. He's, he often uses phrase after phrase after phrase and, phrase and superlative after superlative to describe something of the greatness of Christ. You can't contain Christ in language. He's beyond language. He's beyond us. He's beyond our finite minds. He's just so much greater than what we could ever imagine. That's the Lord that we've come to know, friends. And it will take us all eternity to have any kind of comprehension of the Messiah himself. Thank God that we've got all eternity. All eternity from age to age, the ages to come, we're going to be learning more and more about the Lord Jesus. Glorious. I hope you're looking forward to that. Um, and, you know, it's not that far off, friends. Um, because even if we live to be, you know, a hundred years old, it's not long before the life is over and we're in glory. We need, don't we, as I mentioned earlier, that phrase that Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan in America, used, we need to have eternity stamped on our eyelids. It's, we need to see everything in the light of eternity. We need to see everything around us in the light of eternity, our own lives in the light of eternity. And what are we invested in and so forth? Well, we'll come to that in a little bit. But let's get back to this particular phrase. This phrase that says in verse 18, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints has been understood really in one of two ways. There's two forms of interpretation to this particular sentence just to make things a little bit more complicated for you. And uh, the first form of interpretation of this text is that what Paul is saying is what are the riches of the glory of his, the Lord's, inheritance in us. Uh, people, some scholars feel that it's something of the, that the Lord has an inheritance in his people. And that what Paul is speaking about here is something that what the believers are to understand is that God has an inheritance in us. That's the way that some interpret that text. And actually, if you just read that text um, by itself, you would imagine quite possibly and plausibly that that's exactly what Paul is saying. And it could be something of the meaning. 
But generally speaking, the, um, a lot of the commentators believe that what Paul is actually talking about is still to do with the saints' inheritance, what we are to come into in the future. So in a sense, what Paul is saying, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, as it were for us, in the saints? And it's all wrapped up in heaven and glory. Now that's the interpretation that many of the scholars take, and it's the preferred one, and it makes sense in relation to previous verses about inheritance and the general way Paul's writing in the first chapter of Ephesians. And it's the way that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones takes it, and I am not going to disagree with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, in the multitude of counsellors, there is wisdom, says in the book of Proverbs. And I think personally that when you look at the previous verses to do with inheritance, you find that Paul is talking about the saints' inheritance. And in a sense, for God to have an inheritance in us, it almost it doesn't quite make sense because everything belongs to the Lord anyway. It's all his. And we are all his. And we are to the praise of his glory. And it is true that everything we do in our lives is to be to the praise of his glory. And when we get to glory, even the fact that we have an inheritance from the Lord is to his glory anyway. But it's really the saint's inheritance that the Lord has provided something for us. And so Paul is actually saying that he is wanting the believers to have a revelation of the inheritance that the Lord has for his people in eternity. And that's really what I think is the best interpretation. If you look a bit uh, further back to previous verses to do with inheritance, just have a look back, will you, at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Again, verse 11 is speaking of the fact that the saints have obtained an inheritance. It's been obtained. It's not something merely that's future, but Paul is seeing this as something that we have almost already in advance. In fact, if you go down to verse 13, what do we read? In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Again, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He, the Spirit of God, is the guarantee, or the AV puts it better, the earnest of our inheritance. What a wonderful thing it is to know the life and power and reality and gifts of the Holy Spirit. I would to God that many of us would be awakened 
to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. What a neglected person he often is. But he is being given to us, friends. The Spirit of God resides in you if you've been born again of the Spirit. And hear this, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has come upon you for the endowment of power from on high for service. That's the point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Spirit is the endowment of power from on high. It is not the same as the new birth. That's where some people make a mistake. The baptism in the Spirit essentially is subsequent to conversion. It comes afterwards. There are people that are born again and baptized in the Spirit all at once, but that's unusual. The baptism in the Spirit comes afterwards. When you're born again, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you and produce something of the fruit of the Spirit of God in you. But when the Spirit comes upon you, you're endued with power to serve him. And how we need the Holy Spirit in our day. We need oil in our lamps, desperately. We need to be full of oil in the last days. We are living in the last days. We need the oil of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Praise God that if we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have this guarantee, this assurance, this knowing of our inheritance until the redemption. Isn't it wonderful, these words that we learn? Words like redemption. We always think of these words, well, words like redemption, I mean, to do with the beginning of our Christian life, don't we? We have been redeemed. We've been brought back. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful that the Lord has saved us out of our slavery to sin under which we were sold and brought us back through the work of the Lord Jesus and by his blood to the Father, redeemed, brought back. That's what redemption means. But we don't just have redemption in relation to the past. That is true, we do. The scriptures say in Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But the scriptures also say, Jesus said it himself, when you see these things beginning to happen, lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. And Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8, to do with the coming of the end of the age, that uh, our bodies will one day be redeemed. Isn't that amazing? Your spirit's been redeemed. You're inwardly redeemed. You know it, but you also know that you get backache. Well, some of you do, surely. And you have pains and you have, your joints aren't moving fast. Some of you were struggling earlier at football due to age. I don't mention any names, but they are in the hall. Um, uh, but, but nonetheless... There's coming a day when you're going to know the full redemption, as it were. And you're going to be totally redeemed, lock, stock and barrel. And you get your new body. I hope you're looking forward to it. Praise God, it's coming. These days are coming. They're on the way. Lift up your head. When you see these things beginning to these things are beginning to happen. Begin to lift up your head. Your redemption draws now. Isn't it interesting? And forgive me for a little aside. But how often we can all get wrapped up 
especially in these days, in conspiracy theories. Oh, it can become everything to us. You know, we hear about this and we hear about that and we hear some half-truth over here and then we run in this direction to this half-truth and then we run in that direction to this half-truth. We're looking for the enemy in everything. Doesn't matter what it is. We're trying to find the enemy. And we can end up being those that are just totally fascinated with conspiracy theories. And the Lord Jesus didn't say, when you see these things begin to happen, make sure you check out for the conspiracy theories. He did say, do not be deceived. That is true. But he also said, when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your head. In other words, look heavenward. And that's really the nature of the message this evening. Friends, we're to be a heavenly-minded people. That's what God has called us to be. And the trouble is, if the enemy can't get us believing that he doesn't exist, and the way some Christians act, you would have thought the enemy doesn't exist at all. He will get you fascinated with what he's doing. And we're not to be fascinated with him either. We're simply to be aware of his devices and not ignorant of them. We must be aware of them, but not fascinated with the enemy. And everything becomes about demons. Be careful of that. Actually, we must be aware that demons are about at times, and we must be alert to it. But don't go looking for them left, right, and center. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He's the only one who tell you the truth. Demons don't tell truth. Just listen to what the Lord is saying. Well, there's another thing. But anyway, coming back to this particular text, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We've seen from verse 11 and verse 13, the context in which Paul is writing tends us to make us think that verse 13 is talking about the inheritance of the saints yet again. And what we feel is that what Paul is praying is that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we would be enriched in our knowledge of Christ and of the inheritance which the Lord has for us in the days ahead. Do you realize that the Lord is seeking to work into your life in order that you might have an inheritance with him in all eternity? God is working in you. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 where the scriptures talk about for our light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We mentioned this earlier on. God is working in us by his spirit. He's wanting something more for his praise and glory and unto our own inheritance with him when he comes or when we go to be with him. Now, this whole fact that Paul is speaking about us having revelation to do with inheritance and heaven and what's to come is something that we desperately need 
to recover as a teaching within the church in these days. Because you find, haven't you, that heaven isn't preached about very much. You know, there was an old saint, I don't know who he was, and I'm glad I don't know his name, that had a phrase that winds me up. And this is how the phrase goes. It's something along these lines. Do not be too heavenly minded that you are no earthly use. That's one of the most... Anyway, let me just calm myself down for a moment. The message is being recorded and I don't want to get into the flesh. That is a rather unbiblical statement. Does that sound too English, sister? That's all right, okay. It is a rather unbiblical statement. The fact is more likely to be this. We are so earthly minded that we're no heavenly use. And the only way you can be of any earthly use is if you are heavenly minded. The Lord wants you to get your mind on things above. That's what the word of God says. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 please. Colossians chapter 3, a famous passage that you'll know well. Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 1. Colossians 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above. Now, dear saint of God, this is something that you've got to do by the grace of God. The Lord says, set your mind on things above. Dear friends, these aren't little phrases that are mere kind of, merely advisory. You know, like some of the guidelines we've had over the last few months of things we're meant to do and things we're not meant to do concerning the whole COVID thing, some of them have been advisory. So there's advice given, and the government have said, we think it's best for you not to do this. But it's not actually a law, do you understand? It's an advice. This is what they think is best for us to do. Whether we take that advice or not is another matter altogether, but it's advisory. And then there are certain things that they actually put, as it were, as law. You have to do this. Now, sometimes we take the scriptures as though they're advisory. Do you understand what I mean? It's not that we consciously think this, but it's as though it's the way we take it. We don't really take it to heart that the Lord is saying, no, I actually want you to do this. This isn't my advice for you. This is command. And the reason the Lord commands things is for our own blessing. It's because he loves us. And the word of God says in 1 John 5 and verse 3 that the commandments of God are not burdensome. Marvellous. When men put things on you, it can be burdensome, but you'll never find the commandments of the Lord burdensome because every time the Lord commands you to do something, he gives the power and the grace to do that thing. 
which is marvellous. A bit like a phrase, one of my favourite verses, I mentioned it a number of times at Court Farm, which is Ezekiel chapter 2, where the Lord commands Ezekiel to get to his feet, and then Ezekiel says, and the Spirit entered me and put me on my feet. (laughs) You see, when the Lord commands something of you, he gives you of his Spirit to do what he commands. Therefore you can say, no matter how difficult, according to the flesh it may appear, the commandments of God are in your spirit, you don't know they are not burdensome. The Pharisees put extra laws and things upon the people of Israel and caused them to be bound by them and didn't lift a finger to help. But you'll never find the Lord Jesus like that. In fact, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Burdens? No, rest. And actually, if you flow in the commandments of God and simply obey what God says to you, you'll find there's a rest even in the work he's given you. And other people say, how do you do that? And you'll say, I really don't know. It must be the Lord. It's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. He says something like this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says, I laboured more abundantly than they all, more abundantly than all the other apostles. I laboured harder, stronger, I worked harder. And then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Do you see? So whatever God commands for you, he gives you the power to accomplish. Well, now we've gone off the main emphasis of what we're speaking of here, but it's important for us to understand these things. When the Lord commands something, it's for our blessing, it's for our good. So when he says to you, set your mind on things above, it's going to bless you. The problem is so often we are wrapped up in the earthly. We're so so heavenly, uh, we're so far away from heavenly things. We're focused on all that's around us. You know, dear friends, you can be busy in your work but still be heavenly minded. Where are we? Where are our minds? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why, Paul? And then Paul goes on to say why. It's a revelation. This is wonderful, this. Are you ready for it? Because you died. It's not quite what you expect to hear, is it, really? But you have died. What a revelation that is. In another place, in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not, he says in Romans 6. How shall we, who have died to sin, live any longer in it? You get a drunkard who's been drunk all his life, and he dies through liver failure and whatnot from whatever drink has done to him. The moment he's dead, you can put all the alcohol under his nose you like. He's not going to drink it. That's the illustration that Paul gives in Romans 6. In Colossians chapter 3, he's saying we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Now, what a revelation that is. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that we've been raised with Christ and we've been seated with him in heavenly places. You and I, if we're born of the Spirit of God, are sitting, or I'm standing, but you're sitting in chairs with a little distance between you all. And you're seated down, but really, in reality, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places now. And you're not waiting to get to Zion. You have come to Zion. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says. So, in a sense, we should be heavenly minded because we're citizens of heaven. There was a famous Bible teacher, actually he's on the front page of that new newspaper that Dion's brought in. What is it called, brother? The Herald of His Coming. It's fantastic. I picked up a copy as soon as I saw one here. And in the front there's a whole section by a man called F.B. Meyer. Wonderful writer. And F.B. Meyer um, was being visited one day by a young man called T. Austin Sparks. Has anybody heard of him? T. Austin Sparks, great, good. T. Austin Sparks, yes, my children. <laughs> T. Austin Sparks, wonderful revelation of Christ and the body. T. Austin Sparks had, he was friends with people like Watchman Nee. T. Austin Sparks, as a young man, one day went into F.B. Meyer's office, and F.B. Meyer was upstairs doing something or other, some other business he had to do. And Sparks came into the, his study and he saw in his study a plaque. And on this plaque it had the words, look down. And Sparks couldn't work out. Surely, he thought, it should say, look up. And so he was confused. And F.B. Meyer came in and he saw that the young man, T. Austin Sparks, was confused by this statement. And he said, you're confused by that, aren't you? And uh, Brother Sparks said, yes, I am. Surely it should say, look up. And F.B. Meyer said, well, my friend, it is all a matter of where you're seated. If you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, you look down on everything. And I thought, what a revelation that is. You see, so many of us, we live our lives under burdens and never realize that we're seated with Christ and we should view things from his perspective. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory what we spoke about earlier today. No, dear friends, we are not to be an earthly-minded people, it, by which I do not mean that we somehow uh, all are to leave this conference and find the nearest monastery that we can apply to and live our lives as hermits and away from the world. That's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is this, that as we live within the world, as we live practical lives and have to do practical things, it's still possible to be heavenly minded. 
And we need our minds focused on what's above and what inheritance we have to come. And as we focus on these things, the Lord will bring something of a glimpse, a revelation of what's to come. And really when you see something of it, of what's to come, you're going to be spoilt for anything less. You're not going to be into going to nightclubs and all these things. If you see something of the glory of God and the inheritance that the Lord has in his saints, you're not going to be satisfied with all these earthly things. You'll see straight through them for the transient nonsense they are. And you'll see, oh, there's something far greater than all this that just hypes up the flesh and then leaves a man darkened in his soul. There's the glory to come. You know, it's the saints of old, dear friends, that are such an example for us in this. Please turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews and chapter 6. Sorry, chapter 11. Book of Hebrews chapter 11. Sorry, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place when he would receive, which he rather would receive as an inheritance. Again, we're coming back to this theme of inheritance, what the Lord has for us in the future. Abraham left his land of Ur of the Chaldees, which was actually uh, excavated many years ago and found to see quite a uh, modern way of life for those days. And he probably was in the idol business along with his father. And it was quite, as, it, as things went in those days, quite affluent place that he left. And we read... He obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. Earlier on, I mentioned Stephen speaking about Abraham in Acts chapter 7. And he said it was the God of glory that appeared to our father Abraham. There was a glimpse of glory that Abraham saw as the Lord met with him. We don't know much about the encounter. We simply know that it happened. But it was something of glory that no doubt gripped Abraham's heart. And he was spoilt for anything less. He left everything along with his family and went out towards the land that would one day be called the land of promise. The land of of Israel. Well, what do we read? And he went out not knowing where he was going. Amazing, isn't it? And then it says this, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. <coughs> Excuse me. For he waited for the city which has foundation whose builder and maker is God. Wow. The city of heaven, if you like, is called what? The new Jerusalem. Zion. It speaks of the city of God to come down from heaven. 
the new Jerusalem. Are you like Abraham? Are you seeking for the city which has foundations? Friends, there's only two cities in the world and there's only two types of citizens. You are either a citizen of Babylon or you're a citizen of Zion and there's no in-between. No in-between. You're either in one or you're in the other. And if you're a citizen of Zion, let me ask you, are you heavenly minded? Are you acting as though you belong to that city which has foundations? There's another city, Babylon. It looks marvellous. It appears to be great. But one day it's all going to come crushing down and we'll sing the hallelujah chorus. All that opposition to God will be gone. Dear friends, what city do you belong to? Are you somebody that has their feet upon a foundation that looks solid but is actually insecure or are your feet on the foundation of the city of God? The city which has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. Where do you belong? Where do I belong? And if we do belong there, why is it so often, as the people of God, we seem to exhibit character traits of the citizens of Babylon? The Lord has called us out, come out from among them. Do not touch what is unclean. Be citizens of heaven. And oh, don't we need a revelation of something of this inheritance, something of this glory to come, that our eyes may be open to what we have. The problem is we see so dimly. We don't perceive what we're coming into. We need an open heaven. We need a revelation, don't we? Through the word of God as we read it, by the Spirit of God, enlightening the eyes of our hearts to understand the greatness of this inheritance. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And we will be with him. And we will behold his beauty. And we'll see this city. My dear friends, I hope this city won't be strange to you when you get there. You were meant to be there all along, even when you were down here. Where is your allegiance? It's almost as though we shouldn't enjoy these things, but we should. We should. The Lord Jesus has promised us, friends. Aren't you pleased that you have a Saviour who gives promises that can be assured? He says in John chapter 14 verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Many mansions, many rooms. Many rooms. And the Lord goes to prepare a place for us. Well, dear friends, don't you think we should be investing in what is to come? Jesus said, didn't he, build up treasures in heaven. Not on the earth. Invest in the city above. 
That's what we need to do, my brothers and sisters. Oh, we need to remember that as it says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, that we are citizens of this glorious kingdom. Philippians 3 verse 20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await, or eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, friends, did you get a glimpse of something there? Or did those words just pass you by? Because it's late and you have a headache. Think what Paul just said here. Listen to this. He, this is a glimpse of what's to come. We eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Glory again. Glory. Everything's about glory when it comes to heaven. Glory. Praise the Lord. Everything, there's nothing spoilt in heaven. There's nothing artificial in heaven. There's nothing transient in heaven. There's no sin in heaven. There's no darkness in heaven. There's no devil in heaven. There's just the angels and the redeemed of the Lord and the elders and the creatures praising God endlessly in perfect harmony. And everybody has been purified. No uncleanness, no wickedness, no immorality, no homosexuality, no defilement, no impurity, no lusting, no cheating, no stealing, no greediness, no covetousness, no hating one another. Everything is glory. And that's where you're going. Do you believe it? You have an inheritance. No wonder Paul's saying, Oh God, open the eyes of the church in Ephesus. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they may know about the inheritance you have for them. Because remember, Paul had many revelations himself. But when you've had revelation, you can't just explain it to another person in words. Even if you could, they wouldn't receive it. They need to see with the eye of faith and by the Spirit of God shining in their hearts and giving them a renewed mind. That's what we need. When was the last time you asked the Lord to renew your mind? Your mind is being bombarded all about you today, isn't it? There's a battle for the mind, but it's possible for your mind to be renewed even in this day because we have a glorious Saviour who works mightily in our lives and we'll read about and hear about the power of God tomorrow. My time's run out. I'm going to basically end with a couple of scriptures from Revelation. Please turn to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. Okay. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, 
clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The trees of, sorry, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. That's a wonderful statement. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. On to verse 5. Further down, let's just move on. Two, verse 12 and behold I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end the first and the last blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Hallelujah. Let me read chapter 21, verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the king of the earth, kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Hallelujah. Friends, this has to do with what we come into in inheritance. Let me ask you, have you asked the Lord for a revelation of this scene? A glimpse. If you get a glimpse by the eye of faith, I'm not talking about the natural man's imagination. I'm talking about God by his spirit somehow giving revelation in your spirit and I can't explain it. If you have that, that will give you power to endure the present. No wonder Paul prayed that they might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him concerning the inheritance that the Lord has for you. Friends, all I've told you this evening is absolutely true what I've said concerning this book. Because we have a saviour who doesn't lie. And what he says he means. And every scene that you saw just then that I read out is real and genuine and will happen. 
for the child of God. That means if you know that, if you bring that into your heart, by the power of the Spirit, you will be able to endure the present in a way you wouldn't have done without the revelation. Oh, Paul was wise, wasn't he? May the Lord help us to have that revelation of the inheritance of God in the saints to his glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that we've been able to spend some time this evening in your glorious word. We've seen something of the scenes of heaven, but we ask you, Lord, to make them a reality to us by your spirit. And we thank you that you have an inheritance for us. It's waiting for us. Oh God, we pray, open our eyes to what you have for us. We ask for your help. Lord, receive into our hearts all that you've said, anything from myself, just take it from us, we pray. And may we only receive what has been of you.